Thanks so much. Good morning, everybody. Oh, great. Glad that you're uh, quasi here. Good morning. Oh, so much better. Welcome, everyone. If you're watching online anywhere here in town or around the world, uh, we are a church that just absolutely is in love with Jesus and trying to figure out how to follow him together. So uh, we're going to look at the Bible. If you have one, I would encourage you to go to Matthew uh, chapter 26. We're going to get there in a bit. But I just want to give you some time to find it, Matthew 26. We'll start like in the middle. A couple of things that are important for all of us to know. If you're in the building and you have little ones, just to let you know, uh, we sent an announcement out this week. We do have a spot outside in the lobby. If your kids are, are, need a break, they're three years old and they're not used to listen to someone chat at them for 35, 40 minutes. I totally get it, okay? So there's a spot out there. There's video and audio out there, so you're not going to miss a thing. And if you're able to come, if you've been wondering, wow, I don't know if I could come because our kids might need a break, there's a spot for you. And then when they're settled, or you're settled, uh, you could come back in and just join in the room. Two other things that are huge. Uh, we're a church that is relational, and so we want to get to know you. There's a class that's called Basics. If you're here at 11 o'clock, um, uh, if you would sign up for next week, if you want to be a part of that, it will happen right after this gathering in the room right behind us. And we do it about four to six times a year. And it's a get to know you class. It'll run about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And it's, we'll share a little bit of the vision and values, how we got here, where we're going. But more importantly, answer your questions and find out what's important to you and find ways for you to connect meaningfully with other people in the church. So Basics is next week. Sign up from our website. Uh, as well as the week after that, the 31st of January, starts our winter session of community groups. If you're new to our church, this is just one part of the story. The other part is taking what we're hearing on Sundays and figuring out how to live that out. And we do it in seven week segment. So there's a winter session. It just runs seven weeks. That's all you're committing to. And then there's a break around spring break. And then there will be another session that you could join the same group. Or if you're like, you know what, I have some other friends in another one, or we want to start one. We do all of the heavy lifting. The questions, the guides are all done for you. What we're inviting you to do, though, is to do more than spectate on Sundays. Hearing about what God is saying is helpful, hopefully, but taking what you're hearing and making it lived out in your everyday life is actually what grows you as a disciple to Jesus. So this is our way of doing that. I invite you, if you're not in one, get on one online on our website. You can see all the groups when they meet. Some are Zoom, some are live. All of them are amazing. I actually can't verify that, but they're filled with people who love you, all right? So it should be good. Well, let's uh, pray. We'll jump into... Uh, the scriptures in our series, Hope 2021. Lord, we do thank you for another day. We thank you for the ability to look at what you have written in real time and space that still speaks. It's thousands of years old, but yet it still speaks. It resonates to our heart, to our situation, to our ups and downs. And so, Lord, we're inviting you now, open our spiritual ears, so to speak. Whatever it is that's in us, that's receptive to your voice, we ask you, Holy Spirit, amplify and awaken our minds and hearts so we'll know what's right and true and good from you, and then just give us the power, Holy Spirit, to not just hear, but to, to live it out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And online, you said nothing. Okay, great. That was sort of funny there. Okay, here we go. 
All right, Hope 2021, uh, the series wasn't planned, but it's in kind of response to a lot of stuff that's been going on in the church and outside of the church. And I want to bring home, this is the last week in the series, about hope for our future. Uh, but let's, let's look at where we've been so far. The first week was hope for a heavy heart. So many of us, we, we rolled into the new year with last year's baggage because nothing changed, right? And if you are watching any news or seeing any indicators, I think we would all agree, it's probably going to get more challenging before it gets better. There are more things, I mean, the slowness of any positive changes, whether they're sent here or not, it's taking time for us to think about what life is going to be like post-mask. We can't even think that far. I want, I want this morning, I want you to be thinking about what your life is going to be like when your fashion um, mask is gone. So you're like, aren't we going to wear this for the rest of our lives? Maybe, but what if not? What, what, what's life going to look like when you and I are able to go inside of restaurants instead of a tent with a heater or endless takeout? What, what is it going to be for us to, when we see a friend, if you're a hugger, have no problem, hey, rather than, eh, you know, all of the, the, the stuff we're doing right now. It, what, inviting people in your home, like, because you want to and you're not afraid to. What about just life without fear? What, can you even think about life without endless fear? Today we're going to look at hope for our future. But when you have a heavy heart, we learned something from Jesus in Luke 13. When you have a heavy heart, you're going to be tempted, I'm going to be tempted to lose or walk away from God's mission for our life. We're going to be tempted to leave. Jesus was tempted to leave when times got hard, but he had within him the hope of the Father. And so he was firm. He's like, no, I'm going to continue the work. And so we want to learn, living with hope means that we learn to stick it out when times are hard because God has called us to this space, right? We also learn that when, we're, when we have a heavy heart, we're going to be tempted to lose compassion for other people. When we're hurting, when we're feeling the weight of the world or our own stuff, it's easy to spend compassion on me. I need, I need, I need. I'm going to be tempted to lose compassion for you. And the way of Jesus, living with hope, means in our heaviness, we, we stick it out. We learn to be faithful to Jesus, and we learn to be careful and compassionate with others. This is the way of Jesus. This is actually the pathway to hope. Well, last week, we kind of built on that. When we're in a low spot, how do we rise? Where is there hope for our restoration? Is there a pathway? And we saw in the Psalm, Psalm 126 in particular, there are actually songs in the Bible meant to be sung as we made our way towards worship for, the, for Israel, literally up the hill, going to Jerusalem. For us, like metaphorically, from the pit into God's presence, that you and I, we can actually, as we're hurting, as we're trying to figure it out, we can prepare ourselves to be restored by God. And we saw it last week. How do we do that? We keep walking and talking together. This is why for us, side note, uh, community groups may seem like a program. And I, Jose, I, I don't do those programs. Those programs don't work. Well, sitting alone doesn't work either. It's a terrible alternative. The, the Bible calls us, don't stop Getting together, and that's not just a Sunday for an hour. Don't stop the Jesus people life. Don't stop walking and talking. 
And we saw from Psalm 126, I'll just read a little bit. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, or God's spot, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our hearts were filled with joy. What were they singing about? What God had done. They were in the middle, those who sang the Psalms. Jesus sang this Psalm on the way up to the mountain to worship at the temple at least three times a year. And what was Jesus saying with everybody else? God, we're coming to your presence. You have been faithful. When we remember what you've done, our hearts will be prepared to be restored. Keep walking and talking together. And then we we saw from the Psalm last week, if, if you missed it, that it's not just having friends walking together in the faith. It's about we have to keep praying and asking together. In the middle of the psalm, it says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. God, you did it. Do it again. And to me, this is the pathway to hope. It's we remember that even with a heavy heart, I'm going to be focused on Jesus. I'm going to care about you. And I'm not going to give up life together. Okay, that's, that's where we were so far. But I want us to think a little further out now towards how we can live with hope in light of what we've done. I talked about a future without fear, and for some of us, that's, the thought of that is just too much right now. Because we're so, we're so bombarded with fearful thoughts, fearful news, fearful, fearful, fearful things. And so we're wondering, God, how is it that we can walk in faith and not just succumb to the fears that are around us? Well, let's get personal. Today uh, is hope for our future. I want us to think about your future in Jesus despite what you and I have done. We want to talk about our own brokenness. We want to think about, okay, in light of what I've done that God knows about, I know about, and maybe some other people know about, what does it look like for us to walk with hope even though my past isn't perfect? All right, what we're going to do is in, in, in Matthew uh, 26, we're going to see two of Jesus' closest followers who both hit failure personally, and they respond in completely different ways. And this is going to be a template for us to think about how to fail well how we go through times of personal failure and come out the, out, out the other side filled with a Jesus-centered hope. All right, I'm going to pick up in the middle of Matthew 26. Uh, Jesus has grabbed his disciples and had dinner in a room. What they didn't realize is he was preparing for his own funeral. Uh, it was the last big meal with his closest disciples, and he gave them bread and said, this is my body. Ooh, who says that? He was telling us about communion. He was reminding us of the symbols that are going to be given for those of us who follow Jesus now. And this is my cup. This cup is the, the new agreement, the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. They have no idea what's going on. But Jesus is laying out for them what's about to happen, the failure they're going to face, but because of the cross and resurrection, how Jesus is going to provide a pathway to hope. At the end of the meal, verse 30 says, they sung a hymn and they went out. So they're singing the praises of God. They're walking to the Mount of Olives. And then verse 31, here's where we're going to clue in. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will fall away on account of me. You'll all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, 
I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So he's predicting what's to come. Notice what happens next. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Liar. It's not in the text, but we know because we've read the whole story. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, in other words, in a couple of hours, before the rooster crows, before morning, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Failure. Now, Peter has a good heart. He has the right motivation. He loves Jesus, and, and he is willing to step in if Jesus is in trouble. He did it all throughout his following of Jesus. While they walked on the earth, Peter was the one who was by him who wanted to make wrong things right. Except Jesus has just said, I'm telling you, friends, Failure is everyone's experience. Every Jesus-loving person in this room will go through seasons of failure. And there's small failures, the failure on an exam or in a class or on an assignment at work. Those are little things. But this isn't big. Jesus says, three times you're going to deny me. And now Peter says, never going to happen. And he's obviously wrong. Well, uh, I'll, I'll jump ahead and read, but what happens next is they go out to pray, and Jesus says, I need you for an hour. My heart is heavy. Father, if there's any way you could take this cup of suffering, he knows the cross is hours away. If you could take this from me, but not my will, your will. And he's telling the disciples, I need you. If ever I needed you, I need you now to stand with me. And they fall asleep. And Jesus wakes them up, and they fall. Can't you give me an hour? Ever have a friend like that? You're always there for him. They're like, man, I just need you today. And all of his disciples, they're like, I'm tired. And they fall asleep. And then, and then the crowds come. The crowds, because Judas has tipped them off where Jesus is going to be, the crowds and the army arrest Jesus. And, and what happens? They're all scattered. Every single one of them. They all run away except Peter. Yeah, he, he, he's scattered like everyone else, but he finds out where Jesus is having these mock trials in a house because they have no intention of giving justice. They want to justify killing Jesus, so you have to follow protocol. So it's in the middle of the night, no one's watching, but they're going to get Jesus convicted, and they're going to get rid of him. And then I just want you to jump down, if you would, uh, with me to verse 69. Now, Peter was still sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus, right? In Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, that's one. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and, and said to the people there, hey, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again. Who the notes saying, I don't know the man. That's number two. After a little while, those uh, standing there went up to Peter and they said, so now it's the group, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. It's like someone born in the South. I mean, they can move to the North. They can move to the West. If you were born and raised in the deep South, you can't shake it. It's in you. That drawl is just there. And so like, you've got the drawl. You're, you're one of those. And he's like, what does he say next? He began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. 
And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Hope for our future. It's perfect to talk about this in January because January is the month of hope and failure, isn't it? I mean, failure. It's, it's the month where everyone decides this is the year. I'm telling you, carbs are going this year. I'm getting rid of them. The house is clear. I'm going to get in shape this year. I even, I even moved stuff in the garage. I, I made the home, home gym because the other gyms are closed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of debt this year. I know I overspent for Christmas, but this is the year. Financial Peace University. I'm, I'm going to do this year. This is the year. My grades are going to be better. My breath is going to smell better. I'm, this is the year. This is the year. This is the year. And then how many of you honestly you made one little promise, whatever you want to call it, uh, to yourself or to someone else, and you've already broken it in January. Anyone else here broken it? Oh, God, a bunch of liars. Liars here. Like, I didn't make any resolutions, but I made them in my mind. <laughs> We've all broken them. And the reality is the human experience is victory and defeat. It's both. And what we're reading here is what Jesus had already, hear this, predicted. Do you know Jesus knows we're going to fail? And he still loves us. This is such good news. If Jesus were looking for perfect people, he wouldn't be looking on this planet. Jesus, you need to hear this. At the beginning of the year, loves you and knows you. And he actually can anticipate our failure, your failure, my failure. And he doesn't run from us. But it's the response, I think, that can dictate your future. How do you live with hope through your own personal shortcomings? Sins, failures, things that you regret. How do you move forward? How do you not get stuck? Well, I think we just saw it in the response of Peter. I'll just read the last line of chapter 26. And, and Peter, he went outside. He got away from all of them. And he wept bitterly. Bitterly. If you failed, you're not alone. But I, I wonder if you've taken the time to weep bitter tears. I, I think the, the challenge of life today is because so much of the world is seen. I mean, you can't go anywhere if you're on social media. It's just part of our rhythm. We, you know, that meal, we got to post it. Or that experience, we got to post it. Or that thing we read or that show we watched, we post it. And so much of our life is, is on display, I just wonder how much of that life is real. I just wonder. I wonder how much of it is the authentic us. What you see with Peter is he's not afraid to get out from the crowd and deal with his own heart and shortcomings. And I'm here to say to you, my friend, it's not if you fail. When you fail following Jesus, that is you sin, that is you Miss the mark, that is you go your own way, that is you blatantly do what's wrong, that that's you withhold the good that you're supposed to do. Whatever, whatever it looks like, when we hit those seasons, our response will dictate our future in God. And the good news is we can respond well. And Peter here is a beautiful example of genuine remorse. Notice he's not blame shifting, he's not making small of it. 
He's not making excuses. He's not saying, John made me do it. And, oh, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I thought you were talking about the other guy on trial. There's no excuses. When we miss the mark, what do we do? We own it. The word for us today is live with hope. You want to be restored? You want to make your way to a future where the presence of God is real in your life and the work of God is real in your life? Then deal with it. Don't hide it. Don't stuff it. This is the healthy response. And I think for some of us, um, this year of everything being shifted and us being away from most of the people where, where we used to go to work, now it's like we put on a better top because no one's going to see me. I'm in the sweatpants on Zoom anyway, so who cares, right? Uh, whereas we used to be more social for many of us, not all, uh, we are now more isolated. And with that are some uh, negative consequences. And I think one of them is because no one sees and no one knows, we actually don't deal with stuff. We just let it fester. And, and you could be going through that right now. You could be watching a, a home alone and wrestling with an issue in your own soul. And you know, the, there are times where others are at fault and we, we bear the brunt of it. And that's horrible. But I'm talking about now the things we've done. Peter, he did it. He denied it. And uh, I wonder if, if it's time just to own it and give space to say, I need to weep about this. I need to let God see me for who I am and not who I pretend to be and, um, and, and, and weep those tears. Now, that's one response, and that is, a, I think, a template for the Jesus-loving person who, by the way, he's a leader, and, and he's been already used by God in dramatic ways. And so that means everyone from, quote-unquote, the new uh, follower of Jesus to the person who's seen as the highest level of leader, we all got our stuff, right? And we're all working through it. We weep about it. Now look at the alternative. You see it in uh, chapter 27, verse 1. Just keep reading. There's no chapters and verses where Matthew's writing the story. It's just one long flow. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. And so they bound him and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for, for I've betrayed innocent blood. Just pause for a moment. We just assume that Judas knew that his action was going to lead to Jesus' arrest and death sentence. But we actually don't know that. What Matthew tells us is that Judas when he sees the outcome of his actions, he's filled with remorse in me. He, he says, look, I, I, and he takes the, whoa, I, I was going to get money to, all I was, all, it was no big deal. I didn't arrest you. All I was going to do was tell them where he was going to be. It was not that big of a deal. It's not, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to get him hurt. I, I just was saying, hey, he's in the field and you go get him. And so Judas has this moment, just like Peter, to wrestle with his actions and the repercussions of his actions. For Peter, it's Jesus is alone. He's being verbally abused. He's about to be punched, beard ripped, crown of thorns on his head, 
backlashed. And Peter was the one who said, I will die for you. So he's got to own that. His cowardice led to something. And Judas, on the other hand, his cowardice of bringing in these enemies now has led to Jesus' death sentence. I've sinned. And notice the other leader's response. What's that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. Deal with it, Judas. So Judas threw the money in the temple and he left. And then he went away and hanged himself. What? I, I just, I, we have to stop. Let me read that again. Judas hanged himself. He took his life. Now, we read and know the Bible stories. We read them so fast, we don't think about the weight of that. Here's what we have. Two of Jesus' closest disciples. Peter was already seen as a leader, and so was Judas, because he was, he was the accountant on the team. All the people supporting Jesus, the money went through him, and Judas paid the bills and made sure everything was ready to go. Both. We see... People call their kids Peter. They often don't Judas. I mean, there's some. But because of the, what happened here, Judas is already, he's already seen as a negative name, right? But you have to remember, they both were Jesus' closest. They both were loved by him. They both ate with him. They both drank with him. They both saw, saw everything he did. They both were called but their responses to their personal failure led them in absolute opposite directions. And so I'm here to tell you at the beginning of the year, Jesus lover, or someone who's looking at following Jesus for themselves, that when you hit these moments of personal failure, you're going to need to remember some things. You're going to need to gain some wisdom now to navigate because you can go the path of Peter and weep about it and be open about it what you notice, and this is interesting, is that Peter, the next time you see him after weeping bitterly, he's with the other disciples. He's with them. Judas throws the money in the temple. Where are the other disciples? Nowhere. He runs. He's by himself. And he takes his life. And, and friend, that's about as opposite as you can get. And we didn't remember two things I just want you to write down. Write them down now because when that thing comes up, maybe pull it out as a reminder from God to you. What does God want you to know? First thing is we ought to weep over it. And I put the word it because I don't know where your it is. I know what my, my it's are. We ought to weep over it. Whatever it is that you and I have done, neglected to do, Again, I'm not talking about the world that's a mess right now from external forces. I'm talking about the world that's a mess right now because of your choices, my choices. I got to own it. And so what we need to do as Jesus' people is we need to own what's ours. We don't hide it. We don't pretend. We don't make excuses. We don't blame shift. We say, you know what? This is, I love God. Peter loved God. Judas loved God. I follow Jesus. Peter followed Jesus. Judas followed Jesus. But they didn't own it in the same way. And so if you want a future that's bright this year, we're going to have to deal well, which reminds us, and here's the difference, 
between Peter and Judas, we ought to bring it, whatever it is, to Jesus. Judas is alone. Peter is with Jesus after the resurrection. Peter is with the other disciples in the room when Jesus is, goes to the cross and pays for our sin. And, and he's praying in a room, wondering, God, what are you up to? He's with God's people. And, and this is a helpful dialogue. The narratives in the Bible aren't cute stories. They're, they're meant to be people-driven because we are people. So we learn from how people do well, and we learn from how people do poorly. And Judas is alone, and Peter's with Jesus' people, and Jesus shows up. Remember, when Jesus rises from the grave, he sees Peter. Uh, Peter's one of the first people when the ladies are at the tomb on the third day, and Jesus is risen, and the ladies see it, and they run, and they say, Peter, and he goes, what? And he beats everyone to the tomb, and he goes in. He's not here. Peter, uh, later, when the Spirit of God is sent by the risen Jesus to the church, Peter is the one who leads. He's the first person to tell the world the good news by the power of the Spirit. Peter is with God's people, and it's, it's something we need to remember. There's a natural tendency to run and hide. It's just, an, I mean, who wants to be reminded of what they've done, Right? And who wants people to be in the room and be aware of what we've done? So it's just easier to hide it in the masket and put it away and, and make so, all sorts of good reasons why we shouldn't bring it up. And, and here's what you have. Peter denied Jesus, and he comes back to the other followers not realizing where they were. And guess what? You know where they all were? Failing too. <laughs> this is good. I think it's a side note. This is a beautiful vision of church where many, many people gather together Everyone with their story of failure and faith in Jesus. This is the church. I think the church at its best is not like the place I'm afraid of because they may think this about me. I know sometimes we've done that and sometimes we've made a mess of it. We pointed fingers and we were quick to talk about or gossip or bring judgment. But I think what you see here in these early Jesus movement is a bunch of people who are really close to Jesus and all failed coming together, seeking him, listening to him, touching his hands and his side, seeing his realness. And I, I think I, I want to be a part of a church like that, where we're not afraid to talk about hard stuff. If you were here a few weeks ago, we've been talking about hard things, hard choices that we've had to make and some disappointing circumstances. But you need to know we're in the company of people who have all failed publicly and privately. We all have a story to share. So we ought to be the people, when we hear about someone else's situation, who say, man, you know what? My details are different, but gosh, I need grace too. I need mercy. I need the love of God. I need the power of Jesus. And, and, and friend, this is what we should do when we gather together in Jesus' name. It's why community groups are so vital to the ordinary, everyday life of our community here, is because, you know, it's hard for me to talk about things that matter like right now. And by the way, I'm the only one talking. But what does it look like when there's six or eight or 10 people that have created a safe space to say, you know what? I don't have it together. You don't have it together. We don't have it together. We all have Jesus. Jesus has it together. And let me tell you and remind you how Jesus brought me through and what Jesus has done so that now I can build faith when I'm hitting that point of brokenness. I could come to a community of people and say, you know what? Uh, I need you to support me and stand with me. 
And then in and, and reverse, I'm there for you. This is what it means. So what happens after? Okay, you see the contrast. Um, we need to remember that we all fail, but we don't all respond in the same way. And Judas's is the worst example of loneliness and despair. And Peter is a helpful example of grace and mercy and forgiveness and a second chance. As a matter of fact, when the disciples were together, Matthew writes his gospel, but John, who writes another gospel, was also there. And I want us to end our time together by looking at how John tells the narrative of what happens after. When we fail, and we fail well, in that we repent, we turn to God, we own it, we weep bitterly, we do what's necessary. What happens next? John 21, please turn there, and I'm going to start in the middle. Uh, John 21 ends with the story of Jesus uh, seeing fishermen, Peter included, out on the water. It's like a repeat. When the disciples first met Jesus, they were out on the water fishing. So Peter is now, after the resurrection, after his failure, he's out on the water fishing. He doesn't catch anything all night. And a voice comes from the shore and says, throw your net on the other side. And that sounds familiar. And Peter, by faith, throws it in. And they catch, I think it says 137 fish. I love how there's a fish counter. Like they counted it. 137, and they bring it to shore, and then the Jesus is there. Catch this, breakfast already cooked. He didn't even need their fish. <laughs> they had the boat. They didn't catch anything. Jesus already has a meal waiting for them, and they're all stunned. This is the risen Jesus. Where is Jesus in their failure? With them. He doesn't send them away. These are the people who love him. Instead, he he, he says to Peter, verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Good. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Lambs, sheep, were always the metaphor in their mind of what God does for his people. God was known as the shepherd of his sheep. The sheep were known as Israel, God's people. So he's not just throwing metaphors. He's saying, do you love me, Peter? I do. Then do what God does. Take care of other people. Do you really love me, Peter? You know what I do. Good. Who feeds, who feeds the sheep? The, the metaphor in the Bible is God. Do what God does, Peter. In other words, I'm not done with you. I've got something for you to do. And then the third time, verse 17, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In other words, I'm not done with you. And then this interesting line, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out what you wanted. And when you were old, you, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Do you notice the difference? Judas' life ends 
with shame. It wasn't God's will for him to go that way. He's a child of God. But yet for the person who says, God, I, I'm, I'm truly sorry. I'm, I'm owning what's mine. I'm moving forward. I'm going to follow you. Uh, there's, there's a path. Jesus knows Peter's future, and he's going to pass away too. But he's going to give his life, just like Jesus gave his life. Peter's going to give his life for the faith, for the name of Jesus, and is going to be an example of how to live faithful to the end of your life. And his final words to him, then he said to him, follow me. Friend, your moment of failure does not have to dictate your future. Your moments of failure don't have to be your story. It could be a chapter in it. Peter's got a bunch of chapters that are dark days, but way more chapters. Phil, you read the book of Acts and you realize that the rest of Peter's life is marked with beautiful obedience and some other failures. Read Galatians, you realize sometimes he got it off too. So the storyline of Judas is just cut short. Because he didn't own it. He didn't deal with it. But Peter's is a long legacy of faithfulness. And friend, that's what God's, God wants for you. We need to hear G, uh, Peter's, the, Jesus' words to Peter as our words to listen to today. Our, our future is open in God if we will respond with the right heart. And so in an interesting twist, Peter's future is unlocked by a moment of brokenness. Do you know that God could turn it around? God could turn around the worst scenario ever Peter to deny publicly his, his allegiance to Jesus is the worst case scenario in his life. He had no idea that God was setting him up and on the day where the Spirit comes, Peter would be the spokesperson to share good news. You see that God's gonna give you another chance and God will open up a new way and God will provide and he's calling you close and he's calling you close and he's calling you close and he's calling you close. And so can I just say, hope for the future is found in the decisions that we make right now, right now. And if you wanna see a future that's bright in God, then be open about what's really going on. And I think that's what, what Jesus is calling us to I want us to respond uh, by taking communion in a couple of moments because that's exactly how this scenario started. This, this scenario, this whole Peter and, and Judas and failure, it all came after Jesus had invited them close to eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, like he says to us, I know what you're going to do. <laughs> and he eats and drinks with them anyway. It's crazy. That's the love of God. For God loved the world so much that he sent his one, one and only son so that whoever would trust him would never perish, but would have life that leads to life, that leads to life, that leads to life. This is the good news. The good news is not that we have it together. The good news is that God has it together and has provided a way of full freedom, full pardon, full forgiveness, full healing, and a full future. You have no idea what God might want to do in your future as a result of your response and repentance today. So the invitation is just to say, God, here I am. I am like, I'm available to you. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm available. Here I am.